Wednesday night, we're gonna continue our Through the Bible study. Let's turn uh, to Luke chapter two this morning as we're gonna look at the chapter two on Wednesday night. Uh, and um, we draw our text from our upcoming Wednesday night study. And if you're just joining us, we go ver- verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. We don't skip a verse. And so we just happen to be right here in Luke chapter two for the morning. I'd like to start in Luke chapter two and read a small little part of the story here. And we'll do an in-depth on this story um, on Wednesday, but there's a little phrase that kind of caught my attention that I think is really important for us to think about uh, this morning and, and maybe not a very comfortable subject at that. Uh, so I'll give you a little fair warning uh, right now. But it's Luke chapter two, we'll start in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child, Jesus, tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. But when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. Let's stop right there just for a minute. Um, So uh, this is kind of Jerusalem alone. Sort of like home alone, only Jerusalem alone. Um, The parents take off and there's the son, the 12 year old son alone in Jerusalem. You know, like this is, this, this is bad, except for um, there's a good thing. Jesus is God, uh, so we're not troubled by this. Um, uh, but but you, you say, big deal, so whatever. But you do, you do need to understand maybe why Mary and Joseph come just with a little bit of a, a frustration. You can hear it in the syntax that's coming here pretty soon, but um, why are they frustrated? Well, they, they're a day's journey away from Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Israel, the geography of this is quite shocking. Um, when you go up to Jerusalem, it's always up to Jerusalem because if you're north, south, east, or west in Israel, Jerusalem's still up because it's 2,700 feet above sea level up in the mountains of Israel there in the West Bank. Now you have to go up those mountains. Um, And then when you go down the 2,700 feet, you go even further because the lowest place on earth is at the shore of the Dead Sea, which is by Jericho, where these people would have to walk by as they're going back to Galilee area. Um, and that's, that, that's 1,400 feet below sea level. So it's, it's almost like a 4,000 foot descent from Jerusalem. And so their first day of journey, steep down a hill, and they get down to the bottom of the hill and say, hey, where's Jesus? Uh, he's, I think he's still back there in Jerusalem. We gotta go all the way back to Jerusalem. Like, like, think about this. Um, we did the math on this. Let's say you're up at um, Timberline Lodge up on Mount Hood, and you walk on, with your feet down to zigzag, um, it's about a 13 mile walk um, and you drop about 4,000 feet. That's exactly what Joseph and Mary did. And you'd have to turn around and zigzag and walk back up to Timberline Lodge. That's, that's the problem. Uh, so, so it's a big deal what's going on here. Um, so, um, they're, and, and they're with the big company. The company is their family. They would go uh, with aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, and everybody would be there because uh, they would travel on Passover together, but also uh, for safety. There were marauders and thieves uh, in the mountains of Israel on your way up to Jerusalem. It was a dangerous journey if you were kind of by yourself. So, you know, Joseph and Mary are gonna have to turn around and just the two of them, it seems, head back to Jerusalem, which is is part of the problem here. So if you're a parent, you can almost imagine yourself here 
um, and you're searching for your, your son, this is a bit of a troublesome day, uh, day for them. Um, but it, it, it picks back up, uh, it says in verse 46, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now, before we hear Jesus's answer, what, what do they come seeing? And we'll, we'll talk more about this perhaps on Wednesday, but you know, Jesus is confounding the smartest guys in Jerusalem as a 12 year old kid. Don't you wish you could listen in on that conversation? Like what were they talking about? Yeah, um, and the implication from the text here is um, Jesus was asking questions, but it seems like it wasn't as much to hear answers from them, but to pose the question so that they'd say, man, we don't know the answer to that. And he said, well, let me tell you. That's the idea, because he's asking questions as there, but they were amazed at his understanding and his answers that he gave at 12 years old. So we're already starting to see some of the power behind this 12-year-old boy, Jesus, who's God in the flesh. Um, this, is, this is radical. Do you ever wonder how much Jesus knew when he knew it? Like when he was um, born in Bethlehem on a manger, how much did he know when he was in a manger? Oh, um, now, um, because he was tempted in all points like we are, I'm not sure he knew everything when he was first born because part of life and knowing and being tempted like us is not knowing some stuff. Um, and by the way, Jesus didn't know everything. In fact, you remember what Jesus said about his second coming? No man knows the day or the hour, not even the son of man, only the father in heaven knows when, you know, the second coming. So it's interesting how there is a purposeful limitation that was put on Jesus. Although the psalmist says that Jesus had hope given to him um, from God the Father when he was nursing uh, with his mother. That's Psalm 22, uh, where we read about that. Um, can you imagine being Joseph and Mary, the mother and father, stepfather of Jesus, who's God in the flesh? Max Lucado did a, a list of questions that he would ask Mary, uh, 25 questions. I'll just give you a few of them. Um, he said, he asked, he said, this is what I would ask Mary. How did Jesus respond when he saw other kids giggling during the service in the synagogue? <laughs> um, did you ever feel awkward teaching Jesus how he created the world? When Jesus saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act differently? Um, did, did the thought ever occur to you that God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? Did you ever count the stars with him at night and succeed? <laughs> did Jesus ever come home with a black eye? Um, did he do well in school? Did you ever scold him? Um, in a way, you might say our text here, there's a little bit of a scolding, um, maybe. Um, did he ever ask a question about scripture? Um, did he ever get angry when someone was dishonest with him? Uh, did he ever wake up afraid? Did you ever accidentally call him father? What did Jesus' cousin John the Baptist and he talk about when they were kids? Did his other brothers and sisters understand what was happening? Did, did you ever think that that's God eating my soup? I mean, think about being Joseph and Mary and, and here they are, you know, they've got the perfect child. 
Um, now, some of you think your ch children are perfect. As a, as a former children's pastor, let me just give you a little heads up. They're not. Oh, no, Brett, you don't know my little angel. No, he's an angel, but he's just in the fallen state. Um, he's, he's a fallen angel, otherwise known as a demon. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure your children are not that way. Um, but, but here's Jesus talking with the doctors, not medical doctors. These are PhDs in theology, MDivs and, and brilliant you know, religion guys. Um, and again, we'll get more into this. Um, but you know, he, he, you know, when, when they see him there, they're kind of shocked because he's amazing, all these intellectuals, but they sort of blow that off, uh, Joseph and Mary, because they've been looking for him for three days, probably a high level of frustration. And, and you know, why have you dealt with us like this? She says, this is a little bit of the scolding. Behold, thy father and I um, have sought uh, thee sorrowing. You made us sorrowful and this has been troubling. Now here's Jesus' answer, verse 49. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Uh, notice she said, your father and I, and she said, uh, my father's business. Uh, did you notice in our earlier, it says um, he tarried behind in verse 43, uh, tarried behind, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. Uh, Joseph was not really Jesus's father. Um, you know, we gotta remember that. He was like a stepfather. And, and she said, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus said, my father, which is God in heaven, um, I'm about my father's business. Now, if your child tries to pull this one on you, um, he, he, he doesn't have the same clout as Jesus does here. Um, verse 50, and they understood not the saying which he spake to them. Joseph and Mary are like, huh, what? We don't know what you're talking about, but let's go home. Um, basically, verse 51 is where we see that. It says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Wow, uh, what, a, what an amazing story. There's one little phrase here, however, I'd like to draw your attention to because for me, as trying to think through this logically, there's a shocking statement. And the shocking statement is found right there in verse 51 where it says this, and he went down to Nazareth with them and he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. He was subject unto them. The word subject um, is the word submitted in fact, uh, the Greek word is hupotasso, which means to obey, to be obedient, bring under control, put in subjection, to be submissive. He was <clears throat> basically following the will of the Father already, capital F, um, but also submitting to his earthly mother and father, small lowercase f. Um, and Jesus, I think here, is modeling something of great importance for you and me. Because we know Jesus is God. The, the angel Gabriel told, you know, uh, Zacharias told Mary, you know, this is gonna be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That's John chapter one. So interesting that Jesus would willingly, and, and, and by now at 12 years old, he's already demonstrated he's blown all the other intellectuals out of the water. Is he smarter than Joseph and Mary at this moment? The answer is yes, we see it right here. So he's smarter than his mom and dad. Now, now you junior hires in the room here, you probably think that's true of yourself too. <laughs> um, I know when I was a junior high, I went through that phase thinking I was smarter than my parents, but 
Um, the problem is Jesus really was. And the problem is uh, you say, well, why would Jesus submit to his goofy parents who don't even know this is the gospel unfolding right before their eyes. Jesus is the son of the living God and they're wondering why he didn't follow them home. You know, like, like Jesus could have made his case, but instead he willingly made himself subject to his parents who did not know what was going on. As we read there in verse 50, it says they didn't understand what was going on, but he still subjected himself. See, this is the idea that um, if, if God subjected himself to humanity, he puts himself, you know, when God visits, visits man, God could have visited man in all of his glory, splendor, and power. He could have just descended in this glorious form to all of humanity. And we'd all go, ah, and, and freak out. But Jesus came and made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was vulnerable. Even a baby born uh, being cared for by these two, two people, Mary and Joseph. Um, this is God putting himself in subjection in such a shocking way. Why does he do this? Well, there's a few logistical reasons he did it uh, we can talk about, but more importantly, the fact is he did it. I wonder if this is part of Jesus's example. You know, when we ask, what would Jesus do? And we wear the WWJD bracelets back in the you know, um, 90s and stuff. Um, why, why, why is this a good thing to talk about? Well, if Jesus submitted himself, I wonder if we should talk about submission because guess what? The Bible talks a lot about how you and I are to live a submitted life. And this is an important topic because guess what? You and I, we, we fail at this all the time. Our culture, modern Christianity, true you know, submission to, to in the biblical form is often extinct, not just in the world, but even in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, well, Brett, what are you suggesting? Who are we so, supposed to submit to? Well, the Bible actually tells us a lot about that. And some of you are not gonna like what I'm gonna say this morning. So before you get up and rage out, uh, can, would you please just listen, because we're gonna kind of bring it around at the end that I hope you kind of understand that there's real value, and I believe biblical, don't, don't, don't mistake that Pastor Brett says we all have to submit. Um, don't just say that, because you gotta understand there's way more to it than that, but the Bible, it's the Bible that tells you and me to be a people of submission. And Jesus models that right here. This is such an important thing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you some of the authorities that God in his word says you and I are to submit ourselves to. This was an easy one. Let's start with an easy one. Your parents. The Bible makes it clear you're supposed to, if you're a, a child, submit to your parents, just like Jesus does here. Uh, who, Jesus knowing all the stuff that he knew, he still willingly submitted. Uh, and we read about that in several places in the Bible. Ephesians 6 verses one through three is probably the big one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Question, how long do you have to obey your parents? There is an end point to that because it says children obey your parents. So the idea of obeying is you need to obey your parents until you're of that age where you're responsible for yourself. There needs to be obedience. And I think that age is probably different for some people. Um, there's some People that are, get, you know, move out and get, get their life going at a fairly early age and there's kind of an adult demonstration that the person's you know, doing responsible life and there's a point where the parents have to, and it's hard as a parent, but you have to kind of release your kids and they no longer have to obey you. Now, if you're 30 playing video games in your parents' basement, you still need to obey your parents. 
um, because you live under their roof and they're paying for you and you need to get a life. Um, so that's a little different. But, uh, but that age is kind of hard to discern. It, it has to do probably with the person and their responsibility. But obeying is something you don't have to do. But the idea of honoring your father and mother, that, that word right there in verse two, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, um, that's something I think we're supposed to do all our life, honoring our parents. Um, even if you're 80 years old and your parents are 100, you're supposed to honor your parents. What if my parents aren't honorable? It doesn't say honor them if they're honorable. Um, so this is something, again, our culture loses. But, but the, the point that is, um, one of the easy ones on submission is it's right for children to submit to the authority of their parents. And parents, it's right for you to exercise authority over your children and teach them to submit. One of the biggest problems in the next list of submissions I'm gonna, authorities I'm gonna share with you, one of the biggest problems in our culture is parents don't teach their children to submit to their authority. So... They fail in submission when they get to be older in the ones that really matter more than anything. Um, it's because parents are doing a horrible job um, being good, solid uh, authorities with their children. And the Bible talks about how to be a good, solid parent. And a lot of people aren't doing that, so it's breaking the whole system. But all, that's, all that to say, um, why, by the way, it, well, on this one, the children one, why do we submit as children to our parents? Um, well, there's a, there, this one's easy and the other ones are a little harder, so, but the, the reason's still the same. When you and I were six years old, the reason you submit to your children is because, to your parents is because, <laughs> some, some people submit to their children, but, um, but the reason you and I were supposed to submit is because, well, probably the number one reason was safety. You know, your parents knew what was safe. You didn't as a six-year-old. You didn't have a discernment of what was really safe and what was not, what to eat, what to drink, what to run out into the highway or to run out in the neighborhood. Like, what do you, it's like when Joey, my son Joey was just a little kid, six years old. Um, he was riding his bike. We lived on a cul-de-sac there in Sherwood. And um, he was always had the propensity to go out of the cul-de-sac and he wanted to ride his bike into the wild frontier of the highway where all the road people were driving with their cars. Cul-de-sac was pretty safe. So we, I, I, I lined out a, a boundary, very bright lines. Joey, see this mailbox right here? See this tree right here? If you pass that invisible line, they'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> so Joey would just ride around in a circle. But when, when Debbie and I, when he thought we weren't looking, you parents know, you see all things. <laughs> Debbie and I, our master bedroom was upstairs and looked over the cul-de-sac. And we just kind of, we'd be talking, sitting in the window and we'd kind of watch Joey. But one afternoon, sure enough, Joey, took his little bike and he's riding and, he, and, he, and I, I knew it was coming because he looked this way and he looked that way <laughs> like Moses did in the, in the Old Testament. Um, and, and then he just kind of rode out, did a little and then came back in. And uh, so as a dad, I had the responsibility. Now, I would always play this up a little bit. Um, you know, Joey, the Lord was just speaking to my heart. Um, and I, I sensed something. I didn't tell him I was sensing it with my eyeballs. Um, <laughs> but I, I was sensing that maybe, is there something you need to tell me about what you did? I always love that because my parents used to do that to me. Remember, um, well, is there something you need to tell us? Uh, I pulled my sister's hair. No, that's not it. Um, I lit the cat's tail on fire. Oh, no, not that. Um, uh, like whatever, you know, you start confessing. Well, Joey, he, he knew he'd been busted. He said, well, I, I, I went across the line. I said, well, why don't you go put your bike in the garage and you can't ride it for a whole week, which to him was close to weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as a six-year-old, but why did I do that? Just to be a bummer? 
Was I being a parent trying to be a bummer to Joey? No, there was a lesson that he had to learn that, man, you, you, you gotta be careful when you're, when you're um, not aware of how traffic works and cars go zinging by and, and people that don't have a sense of children riding on bikes in a neighborhood. Um, there, there's just too many variables for a six-year-old to really understand. So the submission of a six-year-old to the parent is for their safety and for their, their own good. But that's gonna be true, by the way, of all the submissions and all the authorities the Bible tells us. It's not just to be a bummer, it's to be a blessing. It's not a got to, it's a get to. And it should be that way in each of the categories I'm gonna give you. So the first category, children obey your parents. Um, that's, that's uh, the parents are the authority. The next one I'm gonna list is gonna be the, probably the one that people don't like the most, or at least half the crowd is not gonna like this one. Uh, but it is in the Bible and uh, you can, try to explain away this passage, as so many people do. They try to explain it away, even though the Lord does not stutter when he gives us this word. And, it's, and people say, it's out of context, out of context. The people that say that don't know what context is. Um, I'm one who's very uh, tuned into context, so I'll tell you why. When you teach verse by verse through the Bible, you can't fake context. Like when you're going right through the Bible, you're gonna see all the verses around it and we're, we can't play around with that. Uh, and by the way, the context of this chapter happens to be the topic of marriage. Check it out. Here's number two on the list, write it down. Husbands. Authority number two, husbands. I don't like that, Brad, you're a misogynistic pig. Um, that's what people do, they go right to the name calling. But um, what does the Bible say about this? Well, Brett, this is a first century, the Bible, and things have changed and we know more. No, we don't. The Bible is the word of God and it is forever true. And here's what this passage says. Um, now, now, you guys that know your Bible say, but there's more, there's more. Calm down, calm down, let me, <laughs> hear me out. Here's what the Bible says, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, um, I, there's, there's probably husbands out there, you know, are you listening, honey? Hear what Reverend has to say today, you know, uh, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, now, don't do that, husbands, because one of the dumbest things a husband can ever do is say, submit to me, woman, you know, the Bible. Don't be preaching this, husbands, to your wives. Uh, that's not a good future, trust me on that. You don't, wanna, you don't wanna go home and say, well, Brett said, no, the Bible says this, and this is really for, for the ladies to understand that in the marriage relationship, um, submission is the authority to the husband, uh, given to the authority by, by God that the wife would submit to her own husband. Um, now, the problem with this, so many people have missed and lost the understanding of what submission is. Um, and it's not just, you know, submission is such a, a bummer word. You know, like, like Islam, the word Islam means submission. Uh, and boy, they have, you have to submit to Allah or die by the edge of the sword or whatever. Like it's a, it, that's a pretty ugly way of looking at it. But biblical submission is a little different. The word submission means to be under the covering of something, submitting to the roof. Um, just like us, you know, uh, rain started this week. You know, we're starting to see rain come down. And, and guess what? You guys, you're smart. You came to a place of honor. We could have done the service out in the parking lot, but that would have been dumb because it's raining out there and it's cold and, and you know, and the weather and the wind. And last night it was great when I was talking about there's a storm, kind of stormy out and it was raining, it was kind of the first rain. Um, but 
but you're smart because you said, I'm gonna choose to be submitted. I'm not submitted to anyone. No, you submitted to the roof. That's what biblical submission means, that the, you, you wisely come under the covering of a roof just for, for your own blessing and for your own benefit. That's what biblical submission in marriage is meant to be. The husband was designed by God to be a covering. And guess what? We as guys are wired generally to be good at that. We like to cover. Uh, not only our wives, but our whole families. We like, I would rather take the hit than have my wife take the hit of life. Um, you know, so this is something you husbands have to start thinking about. Am I a good covering? I'll tell you if you're a bad covering, husbands, does your wife stress out about the finances? Is she constantly worried about money? And you're just saying, hey, I bring home my paycheck. Tough, honey. Good luck, you know, crunching the numbers. Um, if that's you, you're a horrible covering. She should not feel that pressure. You're supposed to be the provider, but also to make sure that you're covering and, and shielding her from having to worry about that stuff. Um, Brett, does that mean I have to do the numbers and do QuickBooks and all that stuff? Um, no, some of you would go broke if you guys did that. But, <laughs> but, um, but it's, it's not about who crunches the numbers, but it's to make sure that you're not making her bear that burden and figuring it all out by herself. You get to be a covering and try to help bring sense to it. And, and it's your job to, to make sure that provision is happening. Brett, that's so old school. You're, you're antiquated to talk about a husband leading the, the, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This scripture is as clear as it gets. And people can explain away as much as they want, but it's just what the Bible teaches. God said, when, when I designed marriage, I want the husband to be the covering and the wives, it's not a got to, it's a get to. They get to be under the covering. Here's another way husbands are not a good covering. If the kids are misbehaving a lot and mom's doing all the discipline and all the correction and all the heavy lifting when it comes to the kids and you're just the goofball guy going around saying, well, you know, I, I bring home the paycheck. Like that's, that's the one thing guys check the box. Well, I bring home a paycheck or whatever. But there's so much more for us to do, to be covering our family and our wives. And it's meant to be a blessing and it's meant to be a place of honor. The, the Bible always kind of talks about that. You know, Peter talked about it. He says, you know, husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife. Um, but Brett, I know the rest of that as she's the weaker vessel. I don't like being called the weaker vessel. Um, don't forget the vessel can be weaker, but it doesn't mean inferior. Um, a wine glass is a weaker vessel than a root beer mug. Which one's the, the more honorable vessel though? Um, you don't put the root beer mug on display in the china cabinet or whatever. You put it in the freezer and get it ready, you know, for some root beer. Um, <laughs> um, but the wine glass is something you put out when it's fancy and it's something, uh, but it's a weaker vessel. They're not in fear, they're just different. And men were designed to be a little bit more of the root beer mug, to take the hits, slide down the countertop and drop off the end, it's okay. But the wine glass is designed by the Lord to be something even more honorable. So it's not a better than or less than, that's where people create this false dilemma about biblical manhood and womanhood and all this stuff. But the idea of submission is to be meant to be a blessing. And that's true for children as well. Uh, it, remember, it's, it's for the blessing of a child that they submit to their parents. And it's the same way in the uh, husband and wife relationship. To put yourself under a covering of another is what the point is there. Um, you know, that's something for you to, and by the way, if, if, if you as women are saying, Brett, uh, how, does, how does it look that I submit to my husband? Um, well, 
Uh, that's a hard one for me to articulate. Um, but I'll tell you, the women's ministry, uh, they do a much better job than I talking about that. We've had teaching after teaching that's available online for ladies that are wondering, what does biblical submission look like for the woman? And it, it's, a, it's, it's meant to always be a blessing. Um, now, here's the problem with this. People say, okay, the Bible says women are submit to their husbands. What a horrible thing. But what they don't do is read the verse that's right before Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Because that's the third submission I wanna talk about. The first one was children to the parents. Parents are the authority. The second one is husbands. Husbands are the authority in the, in the biblical form of marriage. Um, wives are submitted to the husbands. But what people miss is the thing that's mentioned right before that. It says it right uh, in Ephesians 5, 21. The next authority is each other. And I probably should have done this one first, but I wanted to get the last one out of the way. But the reason I didn't do this one first, because this, is the, this, this actually is the thing that sets the precedent for the last one that I just gave. You see, one of the things that says, uh, let's look at the verse, Ephesians 5, 21. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So by the way, in hermeneutics, which is a fancy word for talking about how to rightly teach and divide the word of God, it's a whole study of how you know, Jewish writers wrote and how the Bible is laid out. But in hermeneutics, the thing that's mentioned before is always more important than the thing that's mentioned after. More than even the way we talk in modern times, the Bible employs that. So the point is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God is the more important part than even the wives submitting to their husbands. So how does that look? Well, husbands, guess what? You're supposed to submit to your wives too. Um, well, Brad, I'm confused. Which one is it? Does a wife submit to the husband or a husband? Well, here's how that works out. If you follow the rest of the Bible, um, a good marriage will be husband and wife submitting to one another. Um, I remember learning this uh, practically from my own parents. Um, I, I, I love my parents and they're amazing people and I talk about them all the time and people are like, oh, your parents must have been the most perfect people in the whole world. And my parents are like, Right, you probably should tell them some of the truth, you know, <clears throat> about some of the, you know, they're like, uh, you know, and it's funny because I do very much value and love my parents, but let me give you an example of a bad thing. <clears throat> my dad, I, I told you before he was saved, he was into racing cars and car clubs and back in the 50s and 60s. But um, when he got saved, he, he was saved from that kind of horrible lifestyle and all the stuff, crime and all that. But um, when he got saved, there'd be little, hints of his desire to, you know, you know, soup up cars and, and make hot rods out of them. Um, I remember one time I was sitting at, at home in a summer afternoon, my dad comes home from work and he's driving this Ford Ranchero. It was like a 1970 Ford Ranchero. And uh, I thought it was uglier than sin, but he, <clears throat> he had an idea to put a big, you know, uh, big motor in there and some turbos and, and put some 18 inch tires on the back and make it into this real, you know, kind of a dragster type car. <clears throat> and um, he drives in with that, but he didn't check with my mom first. He bought the car and came home. Well, my mom, she's, you know, I've always explained, she's this tiny little sweet, uh, lovely, uh, high voice, just, you know, but when she got, uh, if, if, if you got on the wrong side of my mom, there was some, uh, there was some firepower there, if you know what I mean. And uh, <clears throat> I, I realized my dad was in hot water when he brought that home without running it by her. And I remember, you know, my mom packing her suitcases and she's like walking out the door um, saying, uh, you know, you didn't, you know, cause they, we didn't have a lot of extra money to be building hot rods and stuff at that time. And, and so, um, but my mom, she was, she was letting them know that, that was not right. Um, uh, 
Well, my dad, it was funny, the next day I see the Ranchero sitting out on the highway with a for sale sign on it. Um, uh, he had to learn that, you know, there is a time where as husbands and wives, we, we need to work together. We submit ourselves one to another. So when you're making decisions in life, you pray with each other about, should we buy this car? And should we do this together? And, and it should be a mutually uh, loving, caring kind of decision-making process. The man should never say, hey, I'm the husband, I'm in charge. You know, that's just being an ogre. Um, Submit yourselves unto um, your husbands, even as unto the Lord. How do we submit to the Lord? Do you ever see the Lord coming to you saying, do it or else? Is that Jesus? Our bridegroom is come unto me. He invites you, all you who are weary and heavy laden. It's an invitation. It's not a demand. The husband that is demanding, saying, I'm the boss of this. You've got the whole biblical submission thing wrong. Um, so, so submitting yourselves one to another is, is the, the way Debbie and I operate. But, but here's the thing. In life, there are times where the two of you won't be able to completely come to an agreement. And so there is a point in life and time where I do think the, the husband is gonna have to bear the weight of that decision. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's hard for the husband. It's hard for the wife. But that's where the wife is to really submit to her husband. Um, and uh, let me give you an example of that. You know, Debbie and I have been married 36 years. We, we, um, we've had to make, you know, decisions. And most of the time, I'm going to say 95% of the time, we're, we're on the same page and we, we work, work together on it. But there's been a few times. One of the biggest ones was the Lord stirred my heart to move to Portland and start a church. Debbie's like, I'm not feeling stirred to do that at all. You have to understand, when we lived in Southern Oregon, living in Southern Oregon back then, and then thinking about Portland, that might as well have been Sodom and Gomorrah up there, Portlandia. Uh, keep Portland weird. It's like, yeah, you can keep Portland. Just keep Portland. That was, that was dead. You know, we were kind of like, yeah, Portland's a weird place. But the Lord was just stirring my heart. And so for about six months, we prayed about it. I talked with her about vision and direction and ideas. And she just kind of was kind of closed off to it, but we were praying about it. Um, but over time... Um, you know, I could tell she wasn't really warming up to the idea and I really felt more and more stirred to do it. So what did I do? Say, submit to me, woman. This is something God's leading me to. And I didn't do that. That would have been wrong. But I prayed and uh, I asked the Lord. I asked for counsel from other people and, and Debbie was too. And, but I never forget the day when, G, when uh, you know, the Lord spoke to Debbie and, and, and um, she came and said, Brett, the Lord's kind of put in my heart, even though I don't really feel led to move to Portland, I don't really agree with doing that necessarily, but I'm just gonna submit to whatever the Lord's doing in your life. And I remember what I did at that point is, <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do that. I, I, no, I didn't do that. No, what I, you husbands know what I'm talking about. When Debbie said that to me, I was like, gulp because I knew that the decision was squarely on my own shoulders and she was willing to submit. I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna abuse that submission that she was offering. I didn't wanna make the wrong decision. So I prayed some more, and, 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 but eventually we really did. Um, and, and even before we moved and pulled the trigger on moving, um, Debbie just uh, even came around to that point saying, I really do agree, this is what the Lord's doing. Now, what's so cool about that is the Lord's changed her heart, uh, and we, you know, as soon as we moved up here, she just had a heart to be here. Um, I don't even think she drank coffee before she moved to Portland, but now she's like little Miss Portland, you know, coffee and all the Portlands and stuff that we have, and and it's kind of cool because the Lord has a way of changing our hearts. But and and the Lord's blessed that move that we made, and it's been fun to see how the Lord works. But that's that's where she submitted to me in, in a way that was so 
honoring to the Lord, but also honoring to her husband. Um, and what I love about Debbie is she's not barefoot and pregnant and saying, yes, master, whatever you say, Brett, that's not my wife, nor would I wanna be married to someone like that. Um, Debbie is a smart, capable woman. And when she says, I'm, I'm you know, submitted to you as my husband, um, that doesn't make me feel like, oh, I get my way. Um, it's a whole different thing. It's, it's part of the love that the Lord has given between a man and a wife and a respect <clears throat> that is supposed to be there. So, um, so the, the, the point is, I didn't just demand my way because I, before Debbie submitted to me, I needed to be submitted to her. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. So that's the third group uh, or, or you know, authority, we should call it. By the way, um, you know, learning to submit is so hard, but it's such a key. It was uh, King Henry III of Bavaria, uh, 11th century uh, German king, who was young, but he was raised to be the king, but he hated it. He hated being the king, he hated making decisions, he hated giving out orders, and eventually he said, I'm out of here. And so he, he went up to the monastery where there was a, a guy named Prior Richard, not Richard Pryor, <laughs> but Prior Richard. Um, and, um, and he said, I wanna become a monk, forget the throne. Uh, I'm sick of that. I just wanna, I'll, you know, I'll be here and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Well, um, Prior Richard said, you know, if you come to this monastery, you are submitted to my authority and you have to do what I said. You're not used to taking orders, you're a king. Uh, you'll have to totally submit to me. And, and the king said, I will absolutely, I swear upon my life that I will submit to you. And so they agreed. Um, and so uh, the king said, what do, you, what do you want me to do? And he said, the first order of business here is you need to go back to the throne and serve faithfully. And the king had to do it because he agreed he'd do whatever he told him. When King Henry died, um, it was written about him that he was called the king who learned to rule by submission, submitting himself. Um, that's kind of an interesting story. That's gonna be, the person that knows how to submit is the one who wins. Can I just tell you that? If you're defending yourself and standing up for your rights and trying to become tougher and more in charge of yourself, you will lose. Um, the person that chooses to submit is actually the one who is a little more in control of their life. Pretend after church, I come down here and talking to some of you guys and, um, and a little, little uh, seven-year-old boy comes up, hey, Pastor Brett, bang! And I say, you little brat, that's not a gun, that's just your finger, I'm not gonna, you don't gonna boss of me. What would you say about me at that point? You'd say, Brad, you're such an insecure person. This is a little seven-year-old messing around. And what do you, what's, your, what's your insecurity? Oh, I don't like kids pretending like, I don't like guns. Guns are dangerous. It's not a gun, it's his finger. <laughs> Which all boys use, by the way, as guns. You cannot let them play with guns. They'll play with guns. <laughs> and um, so that little kid. Now, but what happens? What would you think if the little kid, hey, Pastor Brett, bang, and I go, and I start stumbling around over there and grabbing onto people and falling over and, and a little dramatic thing, you, you know, and I'm, I'm playing along. Um, I'm submitted to his little game. Why? Because I'm not threatened by the little kid. I know who he is. I'm just playing along and I'm doing it because it's just kind of nice and fun and uh, I, I'm not insecure in myself. In some ways, when a person comes up to you and you say, you're not the boss of me, that just shows your insecurity. It shows that you're not in charge and that somebody probably should be in charge of you. Um, but when you submit yourself to others and to one another in the fear of the Lord, there's something that's actually amazing about that. And so many people miss that. So much of our culture, 
Our culture is so all about being independent and you're not the boss of me and I can do whatever I want. That's because we're all stupid. The Bible says, don't be stupid. Um, you know, the Bible even uses the word stupid, by the way. People say, Brett, Pastor Brett said stupid. Mommy, I can say stupid because Pastor Brett said stupid. Um, there's a bunch of scriptures that say the word stupid. But the prideful, arrogant person, according to the scripture, is a brutish or stupid man. Um, but the humble, man, the humble person who's submitted is the person that's actually the one who wins. Just the truth. You can read the Bible and check it out and see if I'm, what I'm saying is true. Authority number four on the list. You're gonna like this one. You're thinking, Brett, this is so self-serving. Church leadership. Um, the Bible tells us that there's a, there should be a, a heart to submission to church leadership. Um, well, Brett, you, you're, first of all, you got the husbands. That's you. Second of all, you got church leaders. That's you. You're just trying to be the boss of everybody. Well, if you know me, that's the last thing in the world I want. In fact, the pastoral team here at Athey Creek, um, we don't wanna be the boss of anybody. The scriptures talk about ministry as those that, that are in ministry. We should not seek to have dominion over people's faith, but to be, does anybody remember what it says? But to be, anybody? Helpers of men's joy. That's what it is. That's the heart here at Athey Creek. We, we don't wanna boss anybody around or tell them what to do. It's funny how it's perceived that way though when that people come in for counseling and they wanna hear what the Bible says about something and you know, our marriage is on the line. And, and so you know, the guy's like, well, you know, I, I'm sick of my wife and I think I'm gonna divorce her. Well, what's the problem? Well, she uh, you know, gets on me about leaving my socks on the floor and I'm tired of that. And you know, she's getting older and gravity's taken effect a little bit and she's not as hot as she once was and, and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 um, and, and so what do we tell that guy? Well, we're not gonna tell him what he wants to hear. We're gonna tell him what the Bible says. Stick with the wife of your youth. Love your wife, even as Christ loved the church, which by the way, that scripture comes right after wives submit to your husbands. It says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How does Jesus love his bride, the church? Unconditionally, sacrificially. See, the, the submitted wife, uh, she's gonna have an easy time if the husband's like Jesus. It's gonna be really hard for her to submit to you if you're a jerk and if you don't love her unconditionally and sacrificially. All these pieces need to be together to make a happy marriage. The wife submitted to her husband, but before that, husbands and wives submitting one to another. And then after that, the husband needs to be loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself sacrificially for his bride. This is the recipe the Lord tells us for the happy marriage and the happy family. Um, so it's never that, uh, you know, the, the, whoever's the authority is the one who wants the authority. The husband shouldn't crave authority. The parents shouldn't crave authority. It's just something we've been given as a responsibility from the Lord. In the same way, church leadership. Hebrews 13, 17 is one of the passages, among many, by the way, but it says, and this word obey is also submission, submit to them that have rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So we'll tell the guy, yeah, divorce is not an option for you, but to pour into your wife, go home and love your wife and 
give her blessing and, and pour your love and life into her. The more where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Your heart will go more and more toward her if you pour your life and treasure into her rather than criticizing her all the time. Now, now the guy didn't come to counseling to hear that. He wanted to hear the biblical loophole as to where and how he could divorce her. But there is no biblical loophole. So we're saying, nope, you don't have a biblical reason for divorce and you gotta go and love your wife and stop being a weirdo. Oh, you're just trying to control my life. You're not the boss of me, Pastor Brett. Like we hear that all the time. People come in for counseling and we give them the biblical answer and they're like, they don't like it. And by the way, you know what happens next is um, something called church hurt. Um, books have been written, it's a popular theme. I've been hurt by the church. Now I know that there are real church hurt stories, but I am leery of how many are out there because I hear a lot of stories. Well, that pastor, they wouldn't marry us. I'm hurt because they wouldn't marry us. Well, did, did you ever take the time to ask why the church wouldn't marry them? Like I, we've, been, we've been given grief over, why wouldn't you marry this guy? They came in to get married. Well, he's a Christian and she's not, she's a Muslim. And the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So we tried to share the gospel with her and share the good news. And she says, no, and she walked out. And, um, and, uh, and he's a Christian. And so we, we said, you know, we, we can't be apart as pastors. We can't be with integrity. We can't exchange godly vows between a Muslim and a Christian because that goes against what all the Bible stands for. We love you both, but we can't do that wedding. Church hurt, church hurt. It's, it's amazing. By the way, I'd like to write a book someday called Church Hurt Goes Both Ways. <laughs> because I've been hurt a hundred, maybe a thousand times in ministry. I've been in ministry most of my life and it's amazing how, I remember when Charles Swindoll said, when I was a younger man, I heard this Chuck Swindoll, the you know, great you know, pastor, storyteller, you know. Um, but I remember hearing him say, if you're gonna be a pastor, be ready to have your heart broken. And I thought, what a wimp. I remember thinking, oh, I like Chuck Swindoll, but what a, man, what a whip, you know? You're gonna hurt, you know, heartbroken. And now I'm at my age and the years of ministry and I'm like, he was right. It's amazing how people in the church can break your heart. People that, you know, I'm not whining, it's just part of life and part of the deal. But that's the thing, it's funny how, you know, all this church hurt discussion, but a lot of the people that might even claim church hurt that have left Athey Creek, they're the ones who hurt me personally and, and our staff corporately and our leadership. We've been wounded by a lot of people who probably the same people would say that the church hurt them. So church hurt goes both ways, but it, as it turns out, the Bible doesn't say that the leadership of the church is to submit to the congregation. It actually says, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourself that they, and by those, those that have rule over you, the, the word is um, episkopos, where it where, uh, means the governing, um, the, the old word is bishop. We, we don't use the word bishop in Athey Greek because people have ruined that word, plus it's a, a, a part of a chessboard. But, um, but the bishop is the governing elder leader of the church that's making decisions and, and steering the ship of the church. That's the episkopos word. And that's who's, who we're talking about here, by the way. Um, so leading in the church, there's, there's supposed to be a submission to that. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing how um, so many people uh, in our culture say, yeah, you're not the boss of me. We'll come and listen to old Pastor Brad. And if we like what he has to say, then uh, we'll, we'll take it. But if we don't like what he has to say, see, I'm not saying follow me. 
do what I tell you to do. And I'm a Bible teacher, so you gotta do what I'm, what I would say is my goal in life is to say, here's what the scripture says. Your job is to say, is Pastor Brett really talking about the scriptures? And you should say that about every pastor, every podcaster, every person that claims to be teaching the Bible. You gotta act 1711. It'd be like the Bereans and search the scriptures and see if what is being said is true or false. That is on you. But once you determine, well, that, that pastor is at least trying to share the scriptures and he's giving us words and, and a pastor who's teaching in the church is ordained by God. God made that. I don't like organized religion. Well, you don't like something Jesus actually likes. Jesus ordained organized religion. What, is, what does Jesus want? Disorganized religion? Um, no, organized religion, people sort of, uh, you know, throw that out the window because a church hurt or because they didn't like the church they went to once before or whatever. But, um, but what's happened now is people will listen to pastors and pastors have wimpified so much that they're afraid to say anything controversial lest people are, leave the church or they won't come and give their tithe money to the church. So they, they preach very soft padded sermons so that people will only hear kind of what they wanna hear because you don't wanna have a church hurt person or a, a person who's gonna be angry at you. Uh, obviously I don't have that problem because I've already made half of you angry already this morning. <laughs> I've said a bunch of things that are super unpopular right now. George Fox is freaking out as we speak probably um, because I'm talking about wives submitting to their husbands and, and whenever I talk about how the Bible teaches that men are called by God to be pastors and elders, not women. That, that drives people crazy. But I'm just telling you what the Bible actually says very clearly, no stuttering involved, very clear. Um, but is it that time, the time like, 2 Timothy, where Paul says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. So people make up fables to sort of defend their own lusts. I know this is gonna sound really horrible, but you know, when, when all these churches today that are saying, we're egalitarian and we're gonna have women be pastors and we're, we're more progressive. We have, we have you know, evolved from the Neolithic era uh, of when churches had no women pastors. The Bible says men are to be the pastors and elders in the church, period. Well, it's not for today. It is for today and the context is very clear. Paul uses Adam and Eve in the garden as the reason why men are the pastors in the church. So it goes outside of the time of the first century and goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden as why God gave men that responsibility to be the leaders in the church. But because people wanna say we can do, and women and, and men really, wanting to say women can do everything men can do. And because they wanna say that in our culture in this feminist movement and all this, because of that, the church is bent to what I'm gonna call um, not true sound doctrine, but after their own lusts to have authority and power. Um, they're saying, we're gonna, we're gonna have teachers that teach what we like rather than what is actually true. A lot of people don't like that. But you know, you really have to do some calisthenics and contortions and all kinds of things to kind of dance around what the Bible actually says. Um, so what, what, what is the goal here at Athey Creek? Um, my goal is to follow Jesus because he's the head of the church. I wanna follow Jesus with all my heart. And then as long as I'm following Jesus, I would say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, he said that in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11, verse one, um, follow, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. And the day or the moment Paul stopped following Christ, which he didn't, 
But if he did, he, they should have stopped following Paul. Just like a lot of people should stop following some of these so-called church leaders that are not following the word of God, which is the word is, is, is Christ himself. One more and then we'll wrap it up, uh, or maybe two. Uh, we'll see, uh, we're running out of time. Um, number five, authority, employers. Um, it says in Colossians 3, 22 and 23, it says, servants, um, obey in all things your masters. Now, <clears throat> that sounds like context of slave, but really uh, it could be employees in all things obey your employers according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, um, you know, the appearance like you are um, submitted to your leaders, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Um, you know, he says that not only in Colossians, but also in First Corinthians, or pardon me, Ephesians 6, 5, and 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So if you work at Costco or if you work at Intel or the most pagan of all, Nike, um, uh, and if you've got employers that are not in Christian, non-believers, uh, Brett, I don't, have to, I don't have to respect my boss because he's a pagan. Um, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're to submit yourself to your employers. Um, and by the way, in, a, in an era where we've made it so safe for employees, I mean, there's some good, we've made some good movement to protecting employees, but I also know that there's a thing where it's hard to get people to work anymore because we've padded it so badly. Like people are afraid to do hard work because, well, it's too hard on me. And, and it's like, you know, we, we do, you know, 40 hour work weeks. Jesus, when he was talking about work, he said, are there not 12 hours in a day? Jesus talked about a 12 hour a day work week, which is kind of interesting. Um, we've, we've become very, very soft and, and we demand to be respected by our employers and stuff. And I understand there's a good side of that, but there's also been a really bad side of that. And, um, and as Christians, you and I should be very not like the world. If you're standing around the water cooler, talking to your coworkers and, and bashing your boss, that's called sin. You're supposed to be obedient to your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, singleness of heart. Uh, I know that's not popular, but you know, submission, by the way, promotes uh, humility, true humility. And, and that's, that's, that's part of what the Lord wants of his people to be submitted, even though the person that maybe you're submitting to is not worthy of honor. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us that out. Um, so one more, authority number five, and this one um, is, uh, I don't know what to call it other than officials. Officials. Um, uh, oh yeah, number six, thank you. Um, number six, um, officials. And let's just put them there, police. Mayors, governors, presidents. Are we supposed to submit to those authorities? It's funny, I, I fe fear there's a tepid sort of response there. Um, and I, and I, here's the thing, um, I think you have to be really careful, Christian. Because um, uh, this is absolutely the Bible, just like all the other submissions. Uh, nobody stutters here either. Let every soul, that's every person in this room, be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And it goes on and talks about basically the police officer of that day, the Roman soldier who wields the sword. He is a minister of God, the Bible says. Like this is, this, there's no way around this. Well, Pastor Brett, you're just a big hypocrite. 
Um, because you guys disobeyed the governor when you uh, met during COVID lockdown and you didn't make everybody wear masks and you broke the law. Um, here's, here's where I would correct you on that. Um, first of all, we stopped doing this in Romans 13, one, when the government or a police officer or somebody asks us to do something that is against the scriptures. If the government tells you to go murder someone, you should not do that. You should break their law or whatever that is if the law is unfair. Um, our constitution, that's not even what we did. We weren't defying the law when we uh, opened church during lockdown. We were actually upholding the law. <clears throat> the Constitution of the United States, the First Amendment is very clear. The government cannot interfere with our religious practices and, and it's super clear. <clears throat> so we were actually doing what Romans 13:1 says. We were obeying the laws. Governor Brown was the one who was breaking the law at that time. We proved that because they made all the threats against us and me personally, <clears throat> and we, we were able to show them their illegality of their posture, and they had nothing to say. There was no recourse, because they were illegal what they were doing. But I would say the time could be coming where they ask us to do things that are illegal, and we'll just have to say, we're not gonna do that. Um, and then we become the persecuted church, perhaps. There is a time and a place where you do not do this if they're asking you to break this, the, the word of God and, and ask, tell us to stop being Christians, for example. So there is a, a, a sort of an asterisk next to this. Um, same asterisk for everything. If your parents tell you to rob a bank, you don't have to do that. If your husband tells you to rob a bank, you don't have to do that because that's against the word of God to be a, a thief. So submission, it, it really, it's amazing. We're supposed to submit across the boards to the government officials and authorities. By the way, this one amazes me how many people in our, in our country don't submit to police. Um, that's something you should do. If a police officer pulls you over, do whatever they tell you to do. Uh, if your parents didn't teach you that, shame on them. Um, well, bro, what if the police officer is doing something bad? Well, there are bad apples. Uh, who knows how many bad police officers there are out there, but we know there are some, not nearly what they try to act like there are. But if there's a bad police officer, you still have to do what he says and then maybe fight it in court later. But it's, it's never... Never right. I know that almost goes without saying, but I'm always shocked watching these YouTube videos of people you know, just totally not obeying the law. And as soon as that's part of our culture, we're toast. If nobody obeys police officers and law enforcement anymore, we're, we're, we're toast. This is what the Bible says about that. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Um, well, Brett, Paul doesn't know what our government was like. No, Paul had Caesar Nero in charge. Uh, I would take uh, Governor Brown or, or Kotech or any of those guys over Nero any day. Um, but still, there's, it takes away your excuse. What is, what is the area of submission the Lord would have you think about today? I'd like to end with that. If that's you and you're saying, Brett, right, you're not the boss of me and I'm not listening, check your heart because the Bible is, I'm just, I just scratched the surface today. We could talk for hours and hours. I won't, um, but we could. And the Bible says, submit one to another, Wives submit to their husbands, children submit to their parents. Um, we are to submit to our authorities that are over us in law enforcement and government officials. Even when the pastors of the church are speaking the word of God, there's to be a submitted heart and attitude. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the spirit would say to the church in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray your blessing on this crew as we leave this morning. I pray that you'd just check our own hearts. 
Um, forgive us for having a worldly mindset of unsubmittedness. And um, I pray that you'd show us how to biblically, uh, rightly submit one to another. Help the marriages, help the kids and the families, help us to get things that the world has erased and bring them back to our homes and our houses and, and that it would just be a sweetness, the, the way it was meant to be, uh, a sweetness of respect, of honoring, submission, all these things, Lord. So um, we pray um, that ultimately we'd submit to you. You tell us we're all sinners, we need to be saved by grace through faith. Um, the ultimate submission is to repent of our sins and to accept you as our savior. Lord, I pray even for those who are stubborn in that, that they would submit to you, give their heart to you. Lord, we pray your blessing as we go now in Jesus' name, amen.